John Cannon and the Congregation of Victory Church welcome you to this message from the Word of God. It is our heartfelt desire to see you grow closer to the Lord and to help you become all that He has created you to be. Our prayer is that through this ministry you would come to know Him in a greater way and that these teachings from Scripture would better equip you to fulfill His plan in your life. Now, let's join Pastor John as we study the Word together. Our theme for the whole spiritual campaign, of course, is 40 Days in the Word. And here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to love the Word, learn the Word, and ultimately live the Word on a daily basis. And uh, so that's what we're, this whole six or eight weeks have been set aside just for that. Our memory verse is James 1.22, and this is our theme verse for the entire campaign. Let's read this together. It says, Do not merely listen to the Word. And so deceive yourselves. Shout it out. Say it again. The last part. Do. Guys, it's not enough just to have head knowledge. It must move a little bit deeper into our heart and into our life and come out in our behaviors and in our own personal lives on a daily basis. So that's our goal and that's what we're trying to do. I want you to uh, turn in your Bibles. Actually, we're going to be in a lot of different places today. So uh, the place where I'm going to have you turn first is the Gospel of Luke. Now, it's going to be a moment before I actually get there, but you can go ahead and turn there. This is our 40 Days in the Word campaign, and we've been studying together on how to love the Word, learn the Word, and live out the Word of God. And guys, it's important that we understand that we all can dig in there and... You know, I, I was amazed when I first moved to this area. Now, I'm from, I'm from western North Carolina. I'm from the south and kind of almost the, the Bible belt there. And, and I was amazed when I came into this community and into this area that there are people who told me that, that number one, they were told they could not read the Bible, that they weren't qualified to read it or understand it or to study it, to simply just come to the church and let whoever's standing there tell you what you need to know. Number one, just let me say that's very dangerous to do that. I mean, you can discern and study and learn and grow in the Word of God on your own. And what we're trying to do are develop these, these habits, these disciplines, and try to share with you some of the basic ways that you can study God's Word for yourself and glean from God's Word. Now, I challenge you to do this, and I challenge you to do this with anyone that's speaking, whether it's here at Victory Church or any other church that you may visit. I want you to research. I want you to search the Scriptures and see what you are hearing is the Word of God. And I promise you, if it is not the Word of God, you need to flee from that teacher, okay? Whoever it is that's standing there and they're not giving you chapter and verse and they're not interpreting the Scripture correctly, then what you need to do is either, one, find another church or approach the individual and say, can you do it very respectfully, but say, can you explain this to me? I'm not seeing this in Scripture. Listen, guys, it's important that we stay in the book. Hello? It's important that we build our foundation, that we build our life, that we build our families, that we build our churches, that we build our community, and even that we build our nation on the Word of God. Okay? Now, I'm not going to get on to how far we've come away from God's Word as far as our nation is concerned today, but I do believe this. You know, a lot of times it's easy for us to get inside the church and throw stones to people outside the church and maybe even into our governments and into our culture and our society today. But you know what? I think part of the blame is us as believers and us as Christians and us as churches. Hello? You see, because I believe this. I believe the culture, our world today, is just a step below the standard that the church sets. Hello? And you look around a lot of our churches today, and especially when it comes to the interpretation of the Word of God, the inspiration of the Word of God, the foundation of, of the principles being built on the Word of God, sometimes we've lowered our standard, standard. We've gotten to the place where we may say, you know what, I believe the Bible teaches that, but I'm really not sure it's relevant for our culture or our age today. Let me tell you something, that is very dangerous when we do that. 
Hello? Let me say this. This Bible that you hold in your hand, it is as up to date as tomorrow morning's newspaper. Okay? Some folks look at the Bible and say, well, that's an old, archaic book. It really doesn't have much relevance for us today. Uh, it's not practical for us today. You know, it's kind of outdated. We have evolved. We've become more intelligent and we've made more discoveries and we really don't need to. Listen, that's dangerous. Okay? So you flee any movement that may be leaning in that direction. And you start, and us together collectively, let's make a stand on the Word of God. As we were building this church, I've shared with you how we have, we have the Bible all over this church. I mean, it's in our footer, in our foundation. We literally placed a copy in the, in the footer out there. We have a copy of God's Word right under this podium, this pulpit where I'm standing today, on the studs in this building. We've written Scripture all over on there, on the foundation all around our building. We wrote scripture all on that. Listen, I want Victory Church to be a church that has established its foundation on the Word of God. Hello? And I want us to be a people that studies God's Word, that understands God's Word, that gets into the Word of God and, and makes it applicable to us today. I've spent several weeks talking to you a little bit about the Bible about God's Word. We talked several weeks ago about this being a book that we can build our life upon, that we can actually use this book as our foundation and we can trust the Bible. I spent another message talking to you about the inspiration of the Word of God, how this book that we have is God breathed. It is the Word, the breath of the living God. I spent another message talking to you about illumination. That's where God is opening our eyes so we can see what He wants us to see from the Scripture, and that was a couple weeks ago. Last week, we kind of parked and unpacked the idea of, of observation and simply just getting what God wants us to get from His Word. Today I want to park in an area called interpretation. And I want us to realize that we can discover what God wants us to discover from His Word. And we're going to learn some principles that can help us in the area of interpretation. Something that's very key to Bible study, and I think I have this on a slide for you, that we must use these four areas whenever we are collectively or individually by ourselves studying God's Word. There must be observation, okay? We need to ask the question, what does God's Word say? Then secondly, there's interpretation. We're asking the question, well, what does it mean? And then there's correlation. We're looking for other verses that explain what we're studying there and see the correlation throughout the rest of Scripture. And then we're concluding with application, and we're asking ourselves, what will I do about what I'm reading right now? And those are the four areas that really, if you just take those four things and write those down and apply those to your Bible study, I mean, that will help transform your life completely in your Bible study time if you'll just observe the Scripture and then search out for proper biblical hermeneutics or interpretation of Scripture. If you look for correlating passages of Scripture throughout the Bible, may I say this? The Bible is the very best commentary on the Bible. Hello? A lot of times we, we, we'll read something and, and we immediately go out there searching for somebody to explain what we just read. The first place we should search is correlating passages within the Word of God. And you will be amazed at how the Bible becomes the very best commentary that we have on the Bible when you see supporting passages that help illuminate that passage of Scripture for us. And I'm not going to get off and preach on correlation. But you need to dig and stay in the Bible. Stay there as long as you can before you start pulling the commentaries off the shelf or searching for them on the internet or what have you. But then, you know what? All of that is vain if we don't have application, if we're not simply applying it to our lives. We must be doers of the Word and not simply just hearers of the Word only. So today we're going to be talking about interpretation. Now, in order to get proper interpretation of the Scripture, and by the way, and this is going to be one of my points, and I've shared this with you many times, you're probably already thinking about this, there is only one interpretation of Scripture, okay? It only means one thing. 
And when you get away from that, it's real easy to be led into false doctrine or the occult if you start saying there is multiple interpretations of Scripture. Because there is not. There is only one interpretation of Scripture. Are you listening to me, church? I mean, it only means one thing. Okay? It was written by one person to one group of people for one specific purpose, for one occasion. It only means one thing. Okay? It's unpacking and explaining one doctrine. However, there are numerous applications to the scripture. Okay? I'm okay for you saying there's many applications. I'm okay for you looking at that and saying, you know what? I'm reading that today and man, it seems like it just popped off the page for the very first time in my life. What's that called? Talk to me. Illumination. He illuminates the scripture, makes it come alive in my heart, in my life. At that moment, he removes the veil from my eyes. He opens up my mind. He helps me to receive the scripture. That's illumination. I understand it means one thing that is proper biblical hermeneutics called interpretation. But now I see that, man, here's how I need to take that and apply it to my life. And here's how I'm going to live that out. That is called what? Application. Are you with me? Okay, illuminations when we're studying the scripture, right? Interpretation, it means what? One thing. Then we have application, which has many different ways that it is applied to our life. Now, this whole Sunday morning series, we're just simply talking about how to study the Bible, right? Because if we all can develop these these spiritual disciplines... And habits in our life, it's going to help us in our spiritual growth to understand God's word. There's a word I've been throwing around called hermeneutics. I want to put it up on the screen for you. You may be thinking, what in the world is hermeneutics? Okay, here's what I want you to write this down. I want you to understand this. This is what hermeneutics means. It's the art of finding the meaning of an author's word and phrases and of explaining it to others, okay? It's the art of discovering what exactly the author is saying with his wording and his phrases and whatever is being penned, all right? Now, we're going to take that hermeneutics definition and we're going to bring it into what is called biblical hermeneutics, Okay, we're going to look so that we can discern what the author is writing so we can see and understand his phrases so that we can. What's the last thing? Explain it to others. You may be saying, I don't ever see a time in my life where I'm going to have to explain it. Let me say this. Until you can explain it, you don't know it. Hello? If you cannot explain something, then you don't know something, right? And that's in every area of life, not just the Bible, even in finances. You go talk to some financial advisor, and man, he's using terms you've never heard of. He's using terminology and phrases that are completely foreign to you, and you say, mm, okay, I trust you. And you walk out, and you go back, and you get in the car, and you, sat and you sit and talk to the wife, and the wife says, what did he say? And you say, I don't know, I'm just trusting him. You know what? That may not fly over too well. You go to the doctor. You go into the doctor's office. He does his testing on you. He meets with you again. He's going to share with you what he has discovered. He's using words. He's using phrases that you don't understand. And you say, I just trust you. You walk out. Somebody says, what's wrong? I don't know. You see, you can't explain something if you don't know something. Right? So the same thing applies to the Bible. If you can't explain what you're studying, then it's apparent you don't know what you're studying. And so you need to keep studying it until you can do what? Talk to me, church. I do a lot better when you talk back at me, okay? Stay with me here. When we study God's Word, when we are learning and discovering the truth and the principle of God's Word, and I'm learning it to the point where if need be, I can explain this to someone, then I what? Know it. All right? So hermeneutics is the art of discovering The words and the phrases of what the author's intent may be in his writing. Listen, this is whether it's biblical or any other types of writing. Hermeneutics still applies. But we're using it in the biblical context, and it's called biblical hermeneutics. Now, I don't want to bore you to death with a lot of things. 
And, and I, I couldn't get this one on the slide for you. It's just so wordy. And, and if you'd like to get these, I don't know, these, these rules of hermeneutics that when, whenever you're applying it to Scripture, I, I'll send them to you in an email. You email me. Tell me you'd like to have them. I'll send them out to you. But whenever we use hermeneutics applied to Scripture, I want you to understand that accurate hermeneutics applied to the Bible requires several things. The first thing it requires, and by the way, this is not my main message, by way of introduction. I'm trying to get through this, okay? I'm not going to camp here long. I'm not going to park here long. I just want you to understand this. I want to introduce it to you so you can start chewing it. And you, you remember like uh, the old cow analogy, right? And he gets his grass, and then he goes off under a shade tree, and he re- regurgitates it. I know it's kind of disgusting. It? He regurgitates it, and then starts chewing it again. And I like how Rick Warren said it probably tastes different the second time, right? You know, as, as he's doing that. But but, but that's what we got to do. I want to introduce it to you so you can take it away here and start maybe thinking on it a little bit. And I believe this will help you in your Bible study. So whenever we have some, some rules that apply to biblical hermeneutics, the first thing we got to understand is that we must study the context of the passage and the theme of the book. Then we must look for the actual meaning of each word in the original language. Okay? Listen, our English language is complex is it not i mean and it's always evolving it's always changing right for instance i remember back in my day when i was younger still consider myself young i fight that every day but i'm still considering myself young but i remember a day when i was a boy when being gay was a good thing Hello? Are y'all with me here? Good grief. Do you, you know what it used to mean? Happy. Yeah. Oh, he's gay and jolly today. Well, you know, not everybody wants you to say that about them today. Right? The, the English language evolves and it changes and we get different definitions and different terminology. And what's spoken today may not mean the same thing it used to mean 20 years ago. So whenever we get into the Word of God, and thank God for biblical scholars that have done their very best to translate from the original language into English what God's Word says, I want you to know that sometimes there can be a struggle with an English word to mean what a Greek word may mean or what a Hebrew word may mean. So you need to go back and do some study in the original languages. You need to note the verb tenses. You need to pay attention to periods and the commas and, 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 and the phrases in the Scripture. You need to learn the cultural setting of the passage. You need to determine what the original readers understood it to mean. You need to check out cross-references and see how other words and phrases Phrases and, and passages of Scripture talk about what it is you may be studying. You need to look at this. It's called the rule of first mention. Anytime something is first mentioned in the Bible, it's usually pretty significant and very important. And you need to understand the rule of first mentioned and go back and study that out. You need to confirm an interpretation with two or three similar passages. Listen, don't walk away from God's Word and say it, only, it means this and you cannot back it up with more scripture hello are you with me you see that's where false doctrine comes in that's where the occults start they start with a grain of truth and they'll take that out and expound it to mean something else and they don't have correlating passages of scripture that back that up now i realize that may be a little too technical for sunday morning but i wanted to introduce it to you and i wanted you to be somewhat aware of it okay So let me try to share with you four or five factors of correct biblical interpretation. That's what I want to share with you today. This is going to help you discover what God wants you to discover from God's Word. I promise you guys, everybody look up here at me. Look up right now. Look up here. I want to promise you something right now. If you would take serious, true biblical hermeneutics... To where you are searching out the phrases and the words of the author's intent and you are, you are working that. And listen guys, that takes work. That doesn't come easily. Okay? It's gonna take you some time. But the cool thing about it is, back in my day, 
I used to have to go buy all these volumes of books that could help me do that. You have access to it for free today on the Internet. Go to BibleGateway.com, and there's tons of resources that are there free for you. And I had to go buy back in the day to dig this stuff out. Huge books stand about 18, 20 inches tall, about 6 inches wide, and a huge Matter of fact, my study back in the day was a huge desk. I mean, it went from about here to here and about this wide, and all across that, I'd have 20 or 30 books laid out at the very same time, and now I can do that through the Logos Bible software with a click of a mouse, just that quick, and boom, there it is. There's no reason, hold on church, there is no reason for us to be biblical, illiterate today. Hello? In the culture we live in today, with the technology we have, you got to be careful who you're studying after. And if you have a question or concern and you're not sure, ask me. I can help you in that area. Be careful who you're studying after. But there's no reason if we apply biblical hermeneutics that it cannot transform our lives today. Listen, if you understand this principle and if you can apply this to your life, listen, it will change your life forever. I mean, you will never ever go hungry desiring to have more of the word of God if you can learn true biblical hermeneutics and how that applies to your life and you start digging into you'll see the word of God completely come alive for you and you'll spend hours there and you'll get lost in God's word and you'll be so revived you'll be amazed at the depth of the word of God but oftentimes we go and read the Bible, and we'll read a chapter or two, and we lay it down. Oh, I didn't get anything out of that. You know, sometimes you're only going to get out of something what you put into something. Let me rephrase that. All the time, you're going to get out of something what you put into something. If you don't put much work into it, then you're not going to get much out of it. Hello? I've I got to move on. I, I've spent way too much time on my introduction here this morning. But let me give you four or five things. Now I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to mention these first four rather quickly. And I see you smile when I say that. I'm, I'm going to hit these first four rather quickly. I, I want to I park a little bit longer in point number five. But let's put the first one up on the screen. Here's what I want you to get. Now these are factors of correct biblical hermeneutics. Okay? And these are... These are I want you to understand the wording that I have here for you. It's kind of a it's kind of a, a panoramic view. I mean, I, I really don't even have time. I'm not going to be able to take the time to really completely unpack all of these for you. But there's it's so deep, okay? I want you to understand. This is just a. I, I want you to imagine sitting in a helicopter and doing like Fox Two News does on on the mornings over in St. Louis, and just flies around and kind of just surveys the area. That's really what we're doing under the, each of these points. You really got to drill down in each one of these. But I give you a little bit of a biblical reference here and a and a and a, and a paraphrase, if you will, to kind of kind of just survey the area. But but I think these are five areas that we must learn to camp out in. If we're going to exercise true biblical hermeneutics so that God's word can come alive in our heart and in our life. I hope this doesn't bore you. Man alive, get it into God's Word. And I just want to teach you how to do it. Man, I want you to thrive spiritually. I want you to know. I want you to dig it out for yourself. I want to try to teach you some things that can help you discover how wonderful a book we have before us. So number one, I've I got to get to it. I promise you, I'm getting to it right now. Number one, spiritual. Get this. There must be spiritual perception over intellectual understanding. Now that's huge, guys. A lot of people go to God's Word intellectually just to get an intellectual understanding of the Word of God. May I just share with you that that is impossible? You will never be able to know and understand what God's Word is saying to you unless, get this church, unless you have been born again and you have the Spirit of the living God living within you. He is the author of the book. He's the one that penned and led these men in writing the Bible. He's the one, listen, He's the one that illuminates the Word for us. He's the one that gives us 
us understanding. He's the one that opens us, opens the word for us and helps us discover the truth. There is no way possible that you can understand the word of God apart from the Holy Spirit of God. And the church needs to say amen right there. Right? There's too many people that are trying to go to the Word of God from an intellectual viewpoint and just try to understand the Word of God intellectually. I promise you, you you may understand a couple things. You're not really going to understand them completely. But I don't know that you can understand it completely unless you have the Holy Spirit within you. And that's what 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 14 says. The Bible says this, but the unbeliever... Who is the unbeliever? That's the one that is not born again. The King James Version calls it the natural man. The one that has not trusted Christ as his personal Savior. The unbeliever, get this, does not welcome what comes from the Spirit of God because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. Now, guys, I didn't make that up. That's what the book says. So whenever we are applying biblical hermeneutics, I want you to understand that you've got to go at this thing from the angle of spiritual perception. And you've got to realize that the only way that I can understand God's word is the Holy Spirit within me and moving in my heart and moving in my life. And sometimes there's things that my mind will be opened up to intellectually on the human side. I'll say that's impossible. But spiritually on the God side, all things are possible. Hello? You understand the difference? You understand? So I, I, I don't even have time to camp out there. More I'd like to, but, but I really don't. Number two, jot this one down. Not only is there this spiritual perception over intellectual understanding, but secondly, the second factor of correct biblical hermeneutics, once again, just a survey, a panoramic view here, is God's revelation, get this now, over... Human reasoning. Okay? God's revelation over human reasoning. Now, there's, there's a great passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 24. And, and I promise you, I'm getting to Luke 10 where I had you turn earlier. And, and I'm going to go there in a minute. But in Luke chapter 24, this, this passage of Scripture really comes to light in, in Luke 24 with this God's revelation over human reasoning. This is when the disciples were on the road to Emmaus. You remember? And this is right after the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus, and, and they're walking away, and they're troubled in their spirit, and all of a sudden Jesus in his resurrected body comes alongside them and starts walking with them, saying, hey, boys, what just happened? And they're saying, are you crazy? Where have you been? I mean, you haven't seen what's taking place? And that was Jesus walking with them. And I, I find that amazing how he can be right beside us oftentimes and we don't even see it, aren't even aware of it. And he promised us he'd never leave us. He'd never forsake you. He's with you. I don't care what you're going through. He's there with you today. Hello? But here they had sat under the teaching of Jesus for three years. Three, three and a half years. And they were having difficulty in understanding it from the human perspective or the human reason. You've got to understand also there were Pharisees and scribes and religious leaders of that day that, that was preaching an entirely different um, doctrine, if you will. And, and Jesus came with his new plan of salvation and, and they were kind of blinded to that. And, and so they had this human reasoning that they were struggling with. But whenever Jesus came alongside them and he said, search the scriptures, because in the scriptures you'll see that they talk about me. They reveal me. And the Bible says... In Luke 24 and 27, that Jesus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning the troubles of the day, the religious leaders of the day. No. He expounded, he started with Moses, which, by the way, is a reference to the Pentateuch which is the first five books of the Old Testament. So Jesus puts authority now even on the Old Testament. And he says he started with Moses, the first five books of the Old Testament, and the prophets, all the major, all the minor prophets, the entire Old Testament. He said, go back, boys, and search that. And he expounded to them all of the teachings of the Old Testament. And what did they reveal? Jesus, yes, sir. They revealed himself. He said, when you search the scriptures, you'll see me. And what we need to look for whenever in true biblical interpretation or hermeneutics, we need to be looking for God's revelation of himself over human reasoning. 
Okay? Now, I don't even have much more time to unpack that, but I've got to move on. Number three, get this one. There must be, get this one, guys. Biblical interpretation hermeneutics. This is exciting stuff. And maybe, I hope you're getting it. I mean, I love studying the Bible. But you've got you to gotta have a system going in. Or you're going to be completely overwhelmed. I'm sharing with you, my, this is what I use whenever I go in and study the Scripture. Okay? I look at this now. And I realize that there's going to be genuine love rather than justification of selfishness. Okay? Now let me unpack that briefly. A lot of people go to the Scripture just to see how it will benefit them. Hello? A lot of people go to the Scripture to see how it can just bless me. A lot of people go to the Scripture just to see how I can be prosperous. Now listen, I realize those blessings that come from God to us. And I realize you can be blessed, you can be prosperous, and, and you can be successful. And, and God tells us that. Joshua chapter 1 is a great passage of Scripture that if you meditate on the Word of God, then, then you'll be prosperous and you'll be successful in all that you do. I understand all of that. But listen, that cannot be our motive. That cannot be our intent for studying Scripture. That's a byproduct. Are you with me, church? Are y'all with me this morning? I'm talking about genuine love versus justification of selfishness. Now, what does that mean? Matthew 22, another reference. Actually, the reference I should have put on there for you is Luke chapter 10. I want you to write that down. Luke 10, 25 through 37. I think it speaks to it better than Matthew 22, although it's alluded to and mentioned in Matthew 22. You remember in Matthew 22 as well as Luke 10, this is where I had you to go earlier. I want, I want you to look there. In Luke chapter 10, you remember the story? This is where uh, an attorney came up to Jesus one day and wanted to challenge him with a verbal dialogue. You remember this? Master, great teacher. I don't know that he really believed that. And sometimes I wonder if he was being a little bit condescending and even saying that. I don't know. But he walks up to Jesus and said, what is the greatest commandment? And you remember what Jesus said? And you guys know that. We, we preach and harp on this all the time. He gave him the Shema mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He said, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. and Love your neighbor as yourself. Are you in Luke chapter 10? Look what he says. For what is, Jesus says, for what is written in the law, he asks, and how do you read it? This attorney quoted back to him, and he said, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Get this now. Verse 28 of Luke 10. Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Now, get this. We're going somewhere. He says, you answered correctly, he told him. Do this and you will live. I want you to look at verse number 29. And here's where a lot of people live. Whenever they study the Bible, a lot of people live in verse number 29. And they don't live in verse number 27. Verse number 29, but wanting to justify himself. <laughs> Hello? But wanting to justify himself. Isn't it amazing how many times we go to God's Word simply just to justify ourselves, to explain our own selfishness or why we do, to justify Himself? And He asked Him, He asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And this led into the parable of the Good Samaritan, and, and you know the story there. You know what? True biblical interpretation is going to drive us to a genuine Love for God and a genuine love for others. And it's going to remove us from selfish, desired, self-centeredness, selfishness, justification of self. We're going to realize when we are studying Scripture that my primary goal in life is not the satisfaction of John Cannon. My primary goal in life is to love God and to show that love to other people wherever it is. And not to justify my own selfish desires or to go there to unpack that. Now listen, when you start unpacking God's Word and you start using true biblical hermeneutics, it will drive you to this, to this principle of genuine love for God. Why do you do what you do? Is it to justify yourself? 
Is, is it for selfish gain? Is it for political advantage? Is it for promotion or career advantage? What, all those are selfish intent. What's the motive of your heart? True biblical hermeneutics is going to open our eyes to the fact that we are to love God and we are to love each other. And that's what life is really all about. Not justification of selfish. I, I, I got to go. Number four, jot this one down. Christ commands over man's theology. Christ commands over man's theology. Now, I wish I had time to even park here, and this is good stuff right here, but, but I do not. We must be sure that we are rooted and grounded in the Word of God and not in man's preferences or man's theology. Now listen, I am not saying that theology is not important. I do believe that theology is very, very important. Why? Because wrong theology leads to wrong behavior. Wrong doctrine leads to wrong behavior. It's important that we have correct theology. But understand this. There's two words you need to understand. I don't have time to unpack them. But it's called exegesis and eisegesis. Exegesis is reading out of a passage of Scripture. Eisegesis is reading into it. Hello? Exit, there's your way, going out the door. To exegete the Scripture, I'm reading out of the Scripture. To exegete the Scripture, I'm reading into the Scripture. Here's how that works. I come to the Bible with my own philosophy, with my own idea, with my own belief system, and I go to the Bible to justify it and to make it prove and prove it true. And I'll go there and search for a passage of Scripture that will help me in my theology, in my preconceived viewpoint, prove that I am right. Listen, guys, that is dangerous. Hello? <laughs> I've ran across this. Even in, even, in, even in strong churches with strong Christian families, grandma and grandpa told you something that's not necessarily true according to God's word. And you're establishing your family on it, and you're passing it down, down to, through generations. And I, I, sometimes being the pastor, they'll come to me, and they'll say, you know what? Grandma and Grandpa said this, and Grandma and Grandpa said that, and I just believe that's true. Where is that in the Bible? And I'll say, you know what? Sadly, Grandma and Grandpa may have been a good person, but their theology was wrong. That belief system is not in the Word of God. Oh, yes, it is. They were godly people. Or he was a deacon. He may have even been a preacher. I mean, that, yes, listen, they may, I'm not saying they weren't good people. I'm just saying their theology was wrong. Hello? You've got you to be careful. Just because Grandma and Grandpa said it, listen, guys, just because we've got to be careful that we don't take our preconceived... Listen, you see this through denominations everywhere. I mean, there's more loyalty to denominations than there is to the Word of God. I've told personally our denominational leaders, and I know them all very well, and we communicate often. And I've told them all personally, listen, I'm standing here beside you because I believe what you're doing is, is the Word of God. And when you leave the Word of God, I will no longer be standing here beside you. Hello? Now, guys, we've got to understand, a lot of times denominations even go into the Scripture with their preconceived notion and idea, and they're going to the Word of God to justify and prove their belief system. You need to be sure that you're following Christ's commands and not man's theology. You see, because man can come up with all types of theology or doctrine to draw a crowd. Hello? To please the people. But it may not necessarily be cross command. And we need to be sure whenever we're studying God's word that we're getting into the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ and we're studying his word. John 8, 31, 32 says, Jesus says, if ye continue in my what word. You understand that? If you continue in my word. Then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Okay? So we've got to be sure that we're centered on Christ's commands and not man's theology. And number five, and this, I'm going I'm to stop with this one. I told you I'd unpack this a little more. I can't even, I don't even have time to do that. I've got to finish this thing. Okay? Number five, get this one. I've already alluded to it. I'm going to explain it to you and give you an example in Scripture. One interpretation, many applications. Whenever we're studying God's Word, it only means one thing. Okay? The Holy Spirit of God 
who is leading us and guides us. He doesn't guide us only in right interpretation, but also in precise application for our life. Okay? Now, now even application isn't just left to yourself and whoever to tell you what needs to be done. I mean, the Holy Spirit even works in the area of application. Okay? So there's interpretation, and then there is application. I want you to look over in Luke 5, and I'm going to stop with this passage of Scripture, and then we have a treat for you. Luke chapter number 5. And here's where I'm talking about one interpretation and many applications. And here's a great passage of Scripture that, that really kind of um, brings this to light for us, if you will. As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by the lake Gesinneret and saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen who had left them were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats who belonged to Simon. And he asked him, who did he ask? Whose boat did he get in? Simon's. Who's he talking to? Pay attention to that. He asked him to put out a little from the land. So who's in the boat? Simon and who? Jesus, all right? He's using the boat as a pulpit. I like that. Yeah, he's out there preaching, okay? And then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. Look in verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, he said to who? Simon. Put out into deep water... And let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, here comes the human reasoning side of things. Here comes the intellectual understanding of things. Here comes the human side of things. Are you tracking with me? He said, Master, in all all due respect, he's saying, you got to understand, you're a carpenter, I'm a fisherman. All right? I'm a professional fisherman. You work with wood. All right? I mean, that's what he's thinking. That's what's going through his mind. He's been fishing all night long. They haven't even caught a minnow. They, they've caught nothing, all right? Master, <laughs> I just envision there's probably a little chuckle. Hey, Jesus, I love you. This is what I love about you, Jesus. You know, there's, there's a little chuckle. I'm imagining this. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night long, and we've caught nothing. But at your what? Get that, guys. That's huge. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. Now, look up here at me. Let, me. let me try to explain this. I'm coming back to that verse. In the Bible, there is two Greek words for God's word. One is logos. And John chapter 1, and Jesus is the word, the word is with God, the word was God, the logos. Okay? That's the primary use of God's word. But there's a secondary Greek word that is used oftentimes with God's word as well. And it's the word rhema. Okay, now there's Lagos and there's Rhema. I want you to see something beautiful here. And I don't know if you've dug this out, but man, this is exciting to me because this is where the application of Scripture comes alive. And the application of Scripture comes alive in Rhema. As we're studying Lagos, the application comes alive in Rhema. Now, they're both the Word of God, but there's a little different slant on each of the words. And this is exciting stuff. Here we see, look, look if you will, in verse number, verse number 5. Master, we've worked hard all night long. We've caught nothing. But at your what? Word. That's the Greek word rhema. Well, what does rhema mean? Let me put it up here for you. Rhema is a precise direction of Scripture for a particular person or circumstance. Okay? Now, as you are studying God's Word, Lagos, Rhema is going to kick in. <laughs> Who's the author of both? Come on, talk to me. The Holy Spirit. Okay? This is exciting stuff. Okay? We've got Lagos here. We're studying the Word of God. And then, boom, as I'm studying the Word of God, rhema kicks in, and now I'm getting a precise direction of Scripture for a particular person or set of circumstances that I may be in. Question, church, what was the set of circumstances that Peter found himself in that day? Being very unproductive, right? I mean, at this time, he's a fisherman, okay? He's not even a disciple of Jesus yet. He's not a follower. He's a professional fisherman. Matter of fact, they've been out, clean, out fishing all night long. They're on the bank. He's mending the nets and cleaning the nets and kind of getting ready for the next day of fishing. Are you with me? 
This is his professional work. All of a sudden, this man from Galilee, Jesus comes, gets in his boat, pushes out a little bit to the deep. Peter and Jesus are in the boat. After he preaches, he said, take me out a little bit deeper and cast your net on the right side of the ship. And Peter says, Master, man, I love you. I respect you. But nonetheless, we've worked hard all night long. We've caught nothing. But nonetheless, at your word. Let me ask you, what was the rhema given to Peter? Was everybody now to quit fishing on the left side of the boat and start casting nets out on the right side of the boat? Was everybody now supposed to go get in their boats and go out and cast their nets on the right? No, this was direction given to who? To Peter, to Simon, okay? God, Jesus, was speaking to him and giving him, get this church, a word of rhema, a particular direction. He was speaking into his life on where he was at that moment. And God was moving in him through Lagos, the study of God's word. Rhema then kicks in. And there's where I get my direction. Here's where I get my advice. Here's where I get my counsel. Here's where application of scripture kicks in for all of us. And listen, your rhema may be different than my rhema, but our Lagos is going to be the same. Are you with me? Our rhema may be a little bit different, but honey, our logos is the same. Why? Because it only means one thing. Church, are you with me? Man, it's the good stuff. If you can get a hold of this, I promise you to change you. Man, the word of God will start coming alive, but you've got to get in there and study the logos of the word of God and start unpacking the doctrine of the word of God. And when you do, boom, baby, Raymond's going to kick in and you're going to realize, man, God has a plan for my life. He's given me direction in my life. Ooh, that is good stuff. Man, is that good stuff. He told Peter what to do, and Peter did. And by the way, did he just catch two or three fish? He's living in where? He's living in prosperity now. He's living in blessing now. He's living in the abundance now. He's living in freedom now. Why? Because he trusted the Word of God, and he applied the Scripture of God's Word, and he lived out the rhema in his life. And guys, listen. Now, let let me just park right here. I realize... Some people take this doctrine and take it way out there to a health, wealth, prosperity, name it, claim it doctrine. I'm not saying you can do that. Hello? But I am going to tell you what the Word's teaching. And that's what it's teaching. There is rhema for every single one of us. But you'll only discover rhema as you start unpacking and discovering logos. The Word of God. And then his direction for you may be a little bit different than his direction for me. That's why, get this guys, you can't go out and push your rhema off on everybody. You can push your logos off on everybody, but they're not two in the same. You can't take, because God's given you a word of rhema. He's told you to go a particular direction and do a particular thing. That doesn't mean that everybody's supposed to go there and do that. Because he's given you a particular conviction of rhema, that doesn't mean that applies to everybody. Are you with me now? Man, I could keep preaching for hours on this subject. Right? We can't bring our rhema to the church and say, this is for everybody do this. Why? Because it's application. He's taking the word of God and applying it in different situations in our life according to God's ultimate plan and purpose. And his purpose for Peter was to open his eyes that he was going to now be a great fisherman, not of slimy little stinky fish, but of what? Men. And he called him to be his disciple. And because of the rhema that took place in his life, Peter left his job, left his profession, left his career, left his family, and did what? Follow Jesus. God's rhema will change your life. I wanted to park there a little bit because there was some rhema that took place. Are you guys okay today? I know I'm a little bit long, and this is my fault, and I apologize. I'm sorry. Stay with me a little bit here. There was some rhema that took place in the life of our family years ago. And, and I'm going to ask my wife to come. And I want you guys to pray for her. She is not a public speaker. But she has asked, or she has volunteered, to share her testimony. And there was some rhema that took place in her life, in my life, 
as a result of the Lagos being there. And it changed our lives forever. So give her a hand. Make her feel a little comfortable. I am not a public speaker, and that is for sure. Mike Collins uh, caught me in the hallway one day a couple of weeks ago, and he said, Hey, Deb, can, can I speak to you a second? I have a favor to ask you. And, um, of course, I was like, Oh, yeah, sure. What do, what do you need? I'll help you. And then when he asked me to give my testimony, I about had a heart attack. I mean, well, because I'm up here, but I'm not up in front of you guys by myself. So I was really nervous, but I did tell him that I would go ahead and do it. Um, and I'll start off by... Um, this is going to be hard because it's kind of painful, but, you know. I will start by telling you that uh, when I was little, I was always raised in church. We were always in a Christian home. My parents always took us to church as far back as I can remember. Uh, we were very active. My parents were very active in the youth group. They were very active it was all during church. But when I was 12, uh, there was a revival at our church, and um, I was sitting back in the back. And, uh, my heart just felt like it was going to just pop out. So I got up when the preacher gave the altar call, and I went down, and I asked God to come into my life. I was saved then, and I walked back to my seat, a different person. Um, I don't remember the pastor's name, but but that week was just an awesome week. And I'll never forget how I felt, how heavy I was sitting back there. But when I went back, it was there was no heaviness at all. I was just a different person. A few years later, several years later, I became the organ player at church. So I was very active in church. I began dating at the same time, around the same time, I began dating a really cute guy from school. <laughs> John was not excited about coming to church, but he did just to see me. So he came as much as he could. And then years later, several years later, we decided to get married. Uh, we were young and we were in love. And we certainly didn't see what was coming. totally unaware of how many trials we would face. We both had really good jobs, but we eventually did begin to drift from church. We became morning glories. That would meant we would go to church on Sunday morning just to keep the pastor from coming to visit us through the week. <laughs> At our church back home, if you didn't come, they'd come see you. So... So we went on Sunday mornings, but it, um, uh, we had a boat, and every Sunday morning or every Wednesday, or if we ever went on Wednesday, we'd have it hooked up, and as soon as they said amen, we were out the door, and we wouldn't be back until next Sunday morning, just in time for preaching. Not early, because we didn't want to fellowship, and we'd get out before everybody got to talking to us. I know that sounds bad, but that's just where we were at age 20, and uh John and I, we were not bad people, but we weren't living for God either. We were living for ourselves. Going to church and serving God was just not a priority. We knew it should be, but we were doing things like we just, more important things were our, the money, the cars, the nice house, the swimming pools, the boat, the horses. Everything became our focus except going to church. And I'm not saying any of that's wrong, but when it is put before God, it is. We'd been married. I was only about 20. We'd been married about a couple of years when I had something appear in my left eye. And I showed it to John. And he suggested that I go get it looked at. I went to the doctor and he said, it's only a cyst. And uh, he said, we can take it out if you want to or we can leave it in. And I said, you know what, we'll just leave it because I'm afraid of needles. So we left it. So about a year and a half later, my eye would begin to swell, and it was swollen shut most days. And so Mom and John said, you know, you really need to go look at it, get it looked at again. So I did, and that doctor didn't know what it was, but he sent me for a biopsy. So we, uh, we were just going to wait, and I wasn't even worried about it. I was just, I was just living life, you know. I was just going to 
went to the doctor kind of just to please mom because it really didn't bother me that much. A couple of days later, he called and he said, you've got to go to Duke Hospital today. I said, I, I can't go today. I said, I don't even know where that is. And I said, John's at work and I've never driven outside of Burke County. So I said, I didn't want to go. And it was like two and a half hours away. He said, no, your appointment's at three. You need to be there. So I called mom. We took off down the road with a paper map. It's not like your phone. So we finally got there and they did a biopsy. Of course, I still really wasn't that worried about it because, you know, I'd had it a year and a half after, you know, so it just was, I just really wasn't worried about it. Well, they told me I'd find out for, on Friday. So Friday, everybody that I work with knew that I was going to get a phone call, and that phone call came, and the, the doctor said, Debbie, you have lymphoma, and it's serious. He said, you'll need to be come down here for testing to see how far it's spread. I'm hearing his words, but I'm just not grasping, you know, what, it, what he's talking about because, you know, I'd never even heard of lymphoma. And then when he told me it was serious, I'm like, well, I've had it for a year and a half. It's in my head, so I must be really bad. So, um, so when then I, uh, he said, your appointment will be here in 30 days. You'll come down in 30 days and... Uh, 30 days. I can't wait 30 days. I want to go now. I want to get it out. I just get it out. But I couldn't. I had to wait 30 days for my appointment. And I was devastated. I just hung up the phone and me and my friend just sat down and we sobbed. Then I drove to my mom's house and shared the news with them. She must have known. She thought it was bad too because every day after work, she was at my house. And then I just kept asking, why? Why me? I never heard anybody, why? Because, you, you know, bad things seem to never happen to good people. You know, to bad people, I mean, good things. Always happens to people that are good, it seems like. Well, I thought so anyway. But anyway, I kept saying, why? Our world, we knew we was no longer, it no longer, it no longer mattered what kind of toys we had. It no longer mattered what kind of house I lived in. It didn't matter anymore how much money we had. It didn't matter at all how many friends we had. I was sick, and there was nothing I could do about it. So then I began to get angry. I was angry with God. I just kept asking questions, why me? I married my high school sweetheart that I wanted to grow old with. I was never going to have kids. I was going to never get to watch them grow up. I was going to be leaving my mom and dad and sister. So I was angry. I was also angry about the treatments and everything that they said I would be going through. I was going to miss everything. And why had God let this happen to me? Why do I have to wait 30 days before I can find out how bad it is? Well, during that 30 days, God began to speak to my heart. Every time I'd start to worry, John would quote scripture to me. He always quoted Matthew 18:20, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. He was always with us. No matter what we're going through, he's always with you. We began singing in a quartet, and we sang a song that became my testimony song. The title is, My Child, Just Lean on Me. <clears throat> there are times. I feel so blue And I don't Know what to do Then I bow On bended knees And he says Child Just lean on me Lean on me When you said There's a better 
stay ahead. Soon the lights of home you'll see. So my child, just lean on me. Loved ones leave and we're alone. Seems so hard to carry on. Then a voice so tenderly says, My child, just lean on me. Lean on me when you're sad. There's a better day ahead. Soon the lights of home you'll see. So my child, just lean on me. I was at home by myself one afternoon and I started praying to God. I asked him to forgive me of my sins and to forgive me for being angry. I also asked him to help me lean on him and to help me deal with whatever was going to happen to me. And if it was my time to die, then I'm ready. I had a peace come over me that's hard to explain. God worked out every detail. I was allowed to stay at the Ronald McDonald house, which I was too old. And even though I was too old, a member of my family got to stay with me the whole time I was there. Mom stayed pretty much most of the time because John had to work. They pre- I got, my food was provided. My eyelashes didn't fall out. My hair didn't fall out. Um, my tumor began to shrink after two, two treatments. Mom and I got to minister to kids that were way worse than me. I felt really guilty for being angry that I had to wait 30 days. It was way worse than me. A little girl had not eat or drink in like three days. Mom and I went and bought her a, a straw that was a swirly straw. We took it up there and she drank her chocolate milk. We were able to minister to a lot of families. I think God put us there for a reason. Um, by God's grace, he did heal me from my cancer, and I, and I want to be used for his glory and to minister to others that are going through cancer and other illnesses. Everyone has an appointed time to die, and this just wasn't my time. I want to leave you with this. We all face things that are difficult to get through, whether it's cancer, whether it's divorce, financial hardships, loss of a baby, death of a loved ones, or parenting issues. Just remember to put God first in your life and then to lean on him because he is really all you need. Thank you. Thank you, Deb, for sharing that. And, and the rhema that came out of all of that through getting into God's word and seeing God work in our life and is that he led us into ministry. Now, that's not for everybody, but that's the rhema that we got out of that. And, of course, to be used for his glory. I'm wondering this morning, as every head is bowed and every eye is closed and we come to the conclusion of our service today, I hope and pray that you are enjoying this, this study that we're doing together, this 40 days in the Word. I promise you it can change and completely transform your life. God's Word is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. But it's spiritually discerned. The only way to know God's Word is to know God. And the only way to know God is to be born again. And I wonder if you're here this morning and I want you to evaluate your own life and where you are. Do you know Christ is your Savior? 
Have you come to a place in your life where you've recognized that, that you have sinned? And you need Him? This morning, why don't you just pray a prayer like this? Just pray along with me. Just say, Dear God, I realize that I've sinned. And I just pray that you would forgive me of my sins. You'd come into my heart and into my life and and save me. I believe you're God's son. I believe you died on the cross for the sins of the entire world. And I believe that you were buried and you rose again victoriously the third day. And right now I want to receive you as my God and my Savior. I invite you into my life and into my heart. If you're here this morning, you prayed a prayer, something like that, where you just, I want you to know that, first of all, that you are a child of God now. You've been born again, as simple as that. And that now the Holy Spirit of God is going to take up residence in your spirit, and He will lead you and guide you and show you all things in His Word. But I also want to say this. Maybe you're here today and you are a child of God already. And you've asked Christ to come into your heart and be your life. You're a Christian already. But there's known sin in your life. Or you know that your relationship with the Lord is not what it used to be. Maybe not what it should be. Then I want to invite you right now to rededicate, recommit your life to Christ right now. Let me help you pray. Pray something like this. Say, Dear God, I've accepted you as my Lord and my Savior, but sometimes going through life, I've just drifted afar from you. I've let other things be more important to me than you. Lord, I just pray right now you'd forgive me. I've placed pleasure. I've placed careers. I've, I've placed family and friends. I've placed popularity all in front of you. And right now, God, I pray you forgive me of that. I repent of it. I ask you to forgive me. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life, if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with, or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360. That's 618-622-9360. Or you can email us at victory at victorychurchonline.net. That's victory at victorychurchonline.net. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can call, email, or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109 in O'Fallon, Illinois. Or come check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us. 